twice. Have you ever heard of such a thing? And he could see, you know, when you see a person that's blind, you can tell just by looking at their eyes. He could see, and he looked different. His neighbors, the crowd around him, they were incredulous. Some said, that's the blind beggar. Look at him. He can see. Others said, no, that can't be him. It can't be. That's his cousin. That's his brother. Just looks like him. Now look at verse 9. He said, I am the man. I'm that, I was, I was blind. I'm that blind beggar. That's the first instance of the man giving his personal testimony. I'm the man who was blind. That's simple. They ask the obvious question. How is it that you can see what happened? His testimony continues. You can read it there. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. That's his first testimony of how it happened, of what had happened to him. His first testimony concerning Jesus. So they immediately take him to the Pharisees. Why? Well, there had been an ongoing fierce debate confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees that started back at the festival of the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. They were still in Jerusalem. This was a few days after that feast. That confrontation, that debate, fiery debate, these men wanted to kill Jesus. That had been going on through chapter 7. All the way through chapter 8. And it carries into chapter 9. So they carried the man. Before the, to the Pharisees. And it was for two reasons. They know this debate had been going on. But. And that they were simply bringing them. Said, look, what, look what Jesus did. But there's a second reason they brought him. John tells us in this passage that Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath. This was against their law. So it's natural. They said, we're going to take him to Pharisees. They can see what Jesus has done. He'd done it again. He did it on the Sabbath. So this is just a continuation Except there is a difference this time in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Jesus is not taking, is not personally participating in this investigation. It was his personal debate with the Pharisees all through chapter 7, all through chapter 8. But here, Jesus is absent. Jesus is not taking part. He's not debating with the Pharisees. A man who had been a blind beggar all of his adult life. Think about where he was on the 
in the social strata of Jerusalem. He was at the very lowest end. And here this blind beggar is debating with the brilliant theologues of the Sanhedrin. In bringing this man to the Pharisees, this confrontation takes on a legal aspect. These men are representing the Sanhedrin. This is the court. So this really is a testimony in a court situation. They're investigating this miracle. They're investigating what Jesus did. For the last year, these men, for the last two years, these men had been accusing Jesus of being a sinner because they healed on the Sabbath. They argued that this proved he was a rebellious sinner and thus could not be the Messiah. They were serious about this. And here Jesus had done it again. Look at verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And you want to say, Jesus, why would you do that? Did you just have to aggravate the situation? You could have waited. Till the next day? There was an answer to that. The issue was his identity. Their whole thing was, you're not the son of God. You're not who you say you are. And Jesus had claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be deity. He had claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. And this was just one more. The illustration. He was trying to, he wanted to open their eyes to their own blindness. It was ludicrous to think that they could perform circumcision and other religious works on the Sabbath, but a paralytic or a blind person could not be healed and delivered from that awful dilemma, a great work of mercy. That couldn't be done on the Sabbath. You're saying this is against the law? As we read this, we will say, who are these people? Jesus was pressing them. His identity was at stake. So the investigation of the Pharisees into this miracle begins. And they ask him, they start by asking him the same question his neighbors ask him. How did you receive your sight? The beggar gave them the same answer he had given the crowd. Jesus made bud packs and sent me to the pool of Siloam. And when I came by, I could see. Now, the Pharisees said, Jesus, man, Jesus is a sinner. He's not from God. But even some of the Pharisees began to ask the question. Then how can this sinner, if he is a sinner, how can he do such signs? And it's, it's, it's funny how they respond to that. In verse 17, these theologues turned to the blind, to the man that had been blind, to the beggar of all people. And they asked him, what do you think of Jesus? <laughs> what do you think? And he said, Jesus, I think Jesus is a prophet. So his testimony is now changing. He began by saying, yes, I'm the man who was blind. 
Second testimony was a man named Jesus put a mud pack on my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. His third testimony was he repeated that to the Pharisees. A man named Jesus put a mud pack on my eyes, sent me to the pool of Siloam. Fourth testimony is, you want to know who Jesus is? I, you want to know what I think? I think he's a prophet. Now the Pharisees back off. The Pharisees refused, the court refused to believe that he had been blind. In verse 18, they said he really wasn't blind. They were going to do away with the miracle. And so the Pharisees put the man's parents on the stand. They called in his parents. Is this your son? Yes. Was he blind from birth? Yes. Who gave him sight? We don't know. You say, what in the world? Their son, who had been blind from birth, had been made to see. Jesus was known. His name was known in every house in Israel. They knew what he did. This had been the greatest thing that had ever happened to them. But this was an official body, the Sanhedrin, that had already ruled that anyone that followed Jesus would be thrown out of the synagogue. Verse 22. They would be excommunicated. So his parents, they passed the buck. They said, he's an adult. Ask him who did it. You see the process. I mean, this is really what's happening. So they put the beggar back on the stand. Now they got a different solution. The man was blind. I can't deny that. His parents said he was blind. He says Jesus did it. And so they say, give God the glory. This man is a sinner. Just give God the glory. Now this is the man's fifth testimony. And this is a testimony that has become famous. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. He just cut to the bottom line. What did they do with that? You know what they did? Look at it. They ask him again how Jesus did it. And the man's exasperated. He doesn't, he says, I told you. Why do you want to hear it again? He answered like you would have. I've already told you that. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he added, do you want to become his disciples too? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Yeah, they're really angry. Their investigation is on the rocks. And what happens? I do this, you do this. When we're losing an argument, what do we do? We result to insults. We just say, you're ugly. Or you're dumb. You know, when we start insults, you know, you're just a hard-hearted man. Men don't understand. 
You're just a silly, you're talking like a woman now. Insults. They result to insults. They said, you're a beggar and you're a follower of Jesus. And we're the spiritually elite. We're the Pharisees. We're the disciples of Moses. And they excommunicated. They officially threw him out of the synagogue. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to cheer this man. Five times he's given his testimony. If I'd been there when he was excommunicated and walking away, I would have applauded and cheered. Not that they excommunicated. I would have applauded and say, way to go, man. Way to go. Think about it. This blind beggar had gone toe-to-toe with the religious elite of Jerusalem. He had owned up to being the blind beggar. He had testified that Jesus was the one that gave him sight. He had testified under pressure that Jesus had to be at least a prophet. He had finally said that Jesus had to be from God for no other, this is in verse 32, no other one in the history of the world had made blind people to see. What a testimony this man had. I'm proud of him. That man had a testimony that he could tell his children, he could tell his grandchildren. A man named Jesus gave me sight. Now we look at that miracle. We say, I would love to have a testimony like that man. I would love to be able to say, Jesus gave me sight. I would love to be able to say to the naysayers, he did it. He did it. He gave me sight. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian this morning? I mean it. Are you a Christian? I'm not going to ask people to raise their hands. But if I said, are you a Christian? Raise your hand. Would you raise your hand? Would you do that? You say, I'm a Christian. Do you believe Jesus is a son of God and savior of sinners? Do you? Not asking your age, not asking if you're a church member, I'm not asking if you've been baptized. Do you believe Jesus is the son of God and savior of sinners? Do you? Do you love him? And I'm talking about real love. Like you love your wife, like you love your children, like you love your husband. In fact, Jesus said we're to love him more than we love our parents, more than we love our children. Do you love him? If you said yes to all of those, listen to me, then you have an even greater testimony than this man to whom Jesus gave physical sight. If that is your testimony, you have a greater testimony than this man. You do. Let me ask you, what is, say, you're a Christian, you studied scripture, what is saving faith? I can tell you what it's not. Saving faith is not being able to see physically with your eyes. That's not saving faith. 
Saving faith is not that you've taken up righteous causes in the area of racial prejudice. Saving faith is not that you have fought against trafficking of young girls being held in slavery for sexual purposes. Saving faith is not that you have fought against the tyranny of Marxist governments. Saving faith is not that you're an addict that has gone into a drug program operated on Christian principles and now you're free from drug addiction. That's not saving faith. All those actions are wonderful. All those are noble endeavors. But they're not saving faith. Up to this point, this man that had given such a magnificent testimony had not experienced saving faith. He had been miraculously healed by Jesus. He had experienced an incredible physical miracle. He had confessed that he was the man Jesus healed. He had insisted on the fact that Jesus healed him. He had called Jesus a prophet. But none of that is saving faith. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record a miracle early in the ministry of Jesus, right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. It was a miracle in which he healed a paralyzed man, a paralytic. Four men, you know the story. We've looked at it many times in this church. Four men, four friends, bring their friend, the paralytic, on a pallet, placing before Jesus. Their expectations, the expectation of the four men, and the expectation of the paralytic, is that Jesus will heal him. And Jesus did not immediately heal the man of paralysis. Rather, he looked at the man. Now imagine this. He looks at the man. The man is a paralytic. No one wants to be there, be that. He's there to be healed. And Jesus says, son, uses a word for child, actually. Child. Your sins are forgiven you. Now we can take our first take from Jesus' words that he looked at the man is that he looked at the man and he saw a greater problem than paralysis. He was saying, you have a greater need than to be healed of your awful physical condition. Now stop and think about that statement. Do you believe that? Do you? Here on Sunday morning, September 19th. By the way, thank you, Kimberly, for correcting me. When I sent Kimberly the bulletin, I had September 18th. And I would, Terry and I had a debate last night, and I lost. <laughs> I said, Terry, it's, it's the 18th. She said, no. She said, today's the 18th. Sunday's the 19th. Kimberly got it right. She corrected me. But right here, September the 19th, sitting in the sanctuary, and you're, you're back at that point, and Jesus says to this man, in essence, you have a greater problem than paralysis. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe 
that forgiveness of sins is far, far more significant than this man having paralysis. I'll tell you, most of the world would unashamedly say, forget about forgiveness. I want to be walking. I want to be healed. I want to be able to dance. I want to be able to play ball. I want to be able to walk. Jesus healed that man twice that day. He healed him spiritually. He did. When God himself says, your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. It would involve a cross. It would involve a resurrection. It would involve the Holy Spirit giving the man faith. But Jesus, the Son of God, declared that man's sins forgiven. Then he proved he had the authority to do that. By saying, take up your bed and walk. Go home. Now with that in mind, go back to the episode recorded in John 9. The man is cast out of the synagogue. That's a big deal. Remember the man's parents refused to confess that Jesus healed their son because they feared that they would be thrown out of the synagogue. They said, ask him. He's of age. He will speak. Excommunication, being thrown out of the synagogue, not only meant a social exile, you would be isolated, you would be shunned by your neighbors, by your friends, but it meant a spiritual lostness. You'd been cast out into darkness. What happened next after they cast him out? The first few words of verse 35 are some of my favorite in the New Testament. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. He just didn't stumble across Jesus and Jesus, Jesus heard what had happened and he went to find him. Actually, John is, I believe, there introducing what he's going to say in chapter 10. But when we get to chapter 10, we'll jump back in chapter 9 and look at those very words. Jesus seeks out this man who was no longer blind. Why? Why did Jesus seek him out? What did Jesus say when he found him? Did he say, hey, thank you. Thank you for your testimony. You took up for me. Thank you for what you did. No. He looks at the man. He's face to face with him. The man can now see him. And Jesus asks a question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now we've mentioned this term hundreds of times from this pulpit. The Son of Man was a title Jesus chose, always chose in speaking to himself. It's not even close. He used this term more than any other term when he was speaking of himself. It was a claim to be the Messiah. Daniel had written, the prophet Daniel had written his prophecy of a vision. And here was the Ancient of Days, God Almighty. And one like the Son of Man appeared before him. And that Son of Man was given dominion, was given a kingdom, was given a glory. 
the prophet said, and God told the prophet, that all the earth would worship him. Well, Jesus, when he said, I'm the son of man, was saying, I'm the son of man from Daniel 7. And he's looking at this blind man, man that had been blind. He says, do you believe in the son of man? The blind man said, who is it, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, and this is from the NIV, I like that translation at this verse, the best. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Why did Jesus ask this question? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Because the man's greatest problem, greatest issue still remained. He could now see physically. but he still hadn't seen spiritually yet. The Pharisees could see physically, just like the beggar could now. But here Jesus stood before them. They were been looking for the Messiah for a thousand years. He stood before them, and they couldn't see him. The man was looking at Jesus physically, but could he see him spiritually? The question before him is the same question Jesus puts before us. And anyone else who encounters him. You see, we come to Jesus when our marriage is in trouble. We, when our children are in trouble. When this has happened. When that's happened. And that's not a bad place to go. When we have all these physical problems. But when you get that physical problem solved. Jesus is going to say, you've got a greater problem. Anyone that encounters him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The man answered, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. It was not just an intellectual assent. It was a heartfelt love. He worshipped. He adored him. What happened? Jesus healed this blind man twice. First, he healed him of a physical blindness. People, I can't tell you, I lived with this all week long. And I asked myself over and over and over again, John Sartell, do you believe this? It challenged me. If it doesn't challenge you, then you don't understand. It's the real subject of this whole scene. If you read this passage through Jesus' eyes, you must say that physical blindness was not this man's major problem. It was not his greatest problem. Now, most of the world, if you say that, if this man's been blind all of his life, blind from birth, and you say, that's not your greatest problem, the world is going to say, you've lost your mind. Of course, it's his greatest problem. Your people are always talking about salvation, trying to save souls. This man's blind. This man's paralyzed. If you leave here this morning thinking his physical blindness was his greatest hindrance, his greatest problem, you are at odds with Jesus. 
you can see Jesus is a son of God and son of man, if you can see that, if you can see his cross and resurrection and know that it's the greatest sight you've ever seen, you've seen the Atlantic Ocean, you've seen the Rockies, you've seen some amazing sights, but by far the greatest sight you've ever seen is Calvary and Jesus dying for your sin and this table. If that's your testimony, then you know that God has wrought a greater work in you than Jesus did in making this man to see physically. So I ask you this morning, what is your testimony? We have sung, I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. We have sung, there is a redeemer. And now we're going.